0: Hello and welcome to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. We are back after a one-week hiatus. Word of warning, don't get the flu. It is terrible. If you haven't gotten a flu shot, get it. I was out of commission for about 10 days there, so I wasn't even at the NC State game. I was still just working my way back for Duke and Iowa. So, since we missed last week's podcast, we're just going to skip over the NC State game and A lot of the things we talk about this week are really similar things as we would have talked about against NC State. We've just got two more games in the books. They beat Duke, and then they avoided the upset over Iowa to win the Phil Knight Legacy, PK-85. Coming back, dual champions from Portland, the men won as well. I don't know, maybe it is more common than the women really impressing Maybe not impressing. I thought the men were more dominant a little than the women on the weekend, which I don't know how many times that happens. But regardless, really good weekend for UConn, two shoebox trophies. And we don't have to have the most awkward podcast of all time talking about Iowa beating UConn <laughs> when pretty much all we've done during the preseason is talk about how overrated Iowa was. So that would have been terrible. I. Was never that nervous during the game, but there were a couple moments where I was like, oh crap, are, is are, is this just going to be one of those games where Iowa can't miss a shot and it doesn't matter what UConn can do to pull it back? It wasn't. Iowa eventually became Iowa. They turned into a pumpkin. UConn <laughs> eventually returned to being UConn, which they really weren't for a lot of that game. And the result ended up being... If you said at the start of the game that UConn was going to win by would ends up being seven points nine points i think i would have seven points i think i probably would have gone ah that's closer than i thought it would have been but i can see that happening i don't think it would have been the uh nature of how it all unfolded but iowa played the game of its life for like three quarters and then uconn still won by seven so a win is a win especially at this point in the year
1: yeah exactly i think Honestly, it's in a way a good win because if they keep beating all these top 10 teams by 20 points like they did to NC State a week and a half ago or whatever that was at this point, this team isn't going to learn that much from those types of games. They're not really getting tested in that game. At least in this game, they were down. They had to fight back, so they did get tested and still came out with the win. So kind of like the best of both worlds for a top 10 game.
0: Right, and that resiliency is something we – have I mean we've largely kind of seen it in the way that they haven't blinked with both Paige Beckers going out, and I don't think Ice Brady is an insignificant loss either. So they didn't really blink with either of those two injuries. Obviously, <laughs> the Chris Daly incident against NC State. I mean we haven't talked about that because Chris Daly's is okay, luckily, but that didn't bother them. If anything, it motivated them. Losing Dorky Uhas to a broken thumb that hasn't bothered them, then you find yourself down 11 in the second half and they didn't really seem panicked at any point. I think the fans were certainly panicked at points. I was getting a few panic tweets, but the players were pretty calm and it's different than we've seen from some other UConn teams in this post Stewie era where in games that would get close, they would turn into a puddle and they wouldn't be able to handle the pressure of not being up by 40. AZ didn't blink when she only had two points in the half. She came out and had 22 in the second half. Aaliyah Edwards didn't get bothered by a few bad fouls here and there. And, you know, a few defensive lapses or anything of that nature. They just kept playing. They didn't get shaken by Iowa hitting every single three that they took for a while. They just carried on, played their game, figured it out and got the win. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway I have from this game. The resiliency was really impressive, and it was something that we haven't seen from this team in a specific game this year. So that's really promising, and I think something that they can definitely build off and learn from.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think they they stuck to their game plan and played it well, even when things didn't go their way in the first half. The other thing I saw a lot of panic about on Twitter was like their defense not being good. And I think like the defense was fine. The Iowa did... It took exactly the shots you kind of wanted to take them to take. They wanted Kate Martin to take 10 shots. She just actually hit them for once, is really what it came down to for why Iowa was able to build that lead to start off.
0: Right. I think to kind of piggyback off that and also point to the Duke game where Duke was in that game for a little bit because they were hitting three-pointers that UConn was giving to them. UConn was letting them take those three-pointers because Duke came in as one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the country. They barely shot the three. They barely made the three. UConn had no problem giving them those shots. Duke was hitting them initially. They weren't hitting them as the game went on. So I think we've seen UConn do a pretty good job of dictating what shots their opponents are going to get. I thought against Iowa, they could have... Closed down on some of those shots a little bit. They could have played a little tighter on players. They seemed a little discombobulated a few times, but even still, I was a high powered offense. You held them under 80 points and you scored over 80 points. I think that's going to be a pretty good recipe against most really good teams. You're not going to want to give up 80 points against a team like Texas, but even still Texas scored 76. And I thought that was a pretty good defensive performance. So it's not going to be a lockdown total stifling defense, but I think it's going to be the type of defense where it plays well enough to give the offense chances to win and to carry the game when it needs to. And I think that's something that we saw against Iowa, even if it wasn't for all 40 minutes.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of the focus when you're guarding Iowa, too, is that, I mean, Caitlin Clark's going to get her points, but you want to make her as inefficient as possible. She was 9 of 24 for the floor, so they did a good job there. And then you want to take Monica S- Sinano out of the equation more, and she only had eight points. So they did a really, really good job in both of those spots. So uh, I think you know some of those other players that scored, like they definitely stepped up. Kate Martin is a 25% three-point shooter last year. Like you're going to give her those shots. She just, she hit them. And obviously credit to her because that made a huge difference for Iowa, but it's probably not something that you're going to see from Iowa every night.
0: Sure. If Kate Martin wants to turn her three-point sliders to 100 for the game, then even if you end up losing that game, that's something where you just kind of got to tip your cap and like... Shrug it off because that's not a sustainable thing. That's not something that's going to happen to you every game. That's the type of thing that has to happen for this type of upset to be pulled. So it's not like it's impossible to happen, but has Iowa played since then? They haven't, right?
1: No, they play NC State tomorrow, which should be interesting.
0: Oh, that's actually going to be really interesting to compare two teams that UConn's played. But I wouldn't be surprised if Kate Martin didn't actually hit a single three pointer in that game because that's really just feels like the way that sometimes it goes with those type of performances. But you look at Caitlin Clark. Yeah. She went off in the second half, but how many of those points were off just terrible turnovers that she got into the lane, got it, took it down the court and scored. She did have a few nice plays, but then she didn't do anything in the second half. They forced her into some really bad shots and they took advantage of her defensively. So I think it doesn't look great on the stat sheet, but they got the best of Caitlin Clark in that game. And if that's the type of game that she's going to have against you, you're most likely going to come away with a win every single time. And same goes with Monica Sanano. I mean, if she only had eight points, Aaliyah Edwards probably had eight points against her in the first quarter. I mean, Aaliyah Edwards just torched her on the defensive end. To the point where it didn't even look like Aaliyah Edwards was being guarded at times. So when you keep two stars in check like that, that's a recipe for success in 95% of games. And the other 5% is when something weird like Kate Martin going six for six from three happens.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I just looked it up quickly and 16 of Caitlin Clark's uh 24 points or 25 points whatever it was came in transition. So they really only allowed her to score like 10 points in the half court. I would say that's that's pretty good.
0: You know, I I think from watching this game it really feels like the Caitlin Clark stands don't actually watch her play basketball and they just look <laughs> at her stat sheet because Some of the shots that she takes are just appallingly bad. She's triple covered three feet back from the three point line and heaves a three pointer with 15 seconds left on the shot clock. That doesn't come remotely close. And you know, what makes Steph Curry so amazing? There's lots of things, but when he pulls up from 10 feet behind the three point line, he hits that shot. I saw a stat that like he hits that shot at the same frequency that most other players make free throw or layups or like ten foot shots or something, it, it was ridiculous the percentage of those deep deep three pointers that he hits. Anytime Caitlin Clark hits one of those deep three pointers, you see it on Sports Center, you see it on Twitter. What you don't hear is that she probably took five, six, seven, ten of those shots in the game and missed all of them and killed a possession just like that. And the one that she hit against UConn. Well, Iowa was down like double digits by that point, right? And the game was pretty much over and it didn't really matter. So that felt like an appropriate time. And then defensively, yeah, she had the steals. I don't think that's a great metric generally to measure how good someone is, that is as a defender. And Nika Mule went right by her for her only two points in the game. Someone else went straight by her. I just don't buy her defense Oh, my God. ESPN's broadcast couldn't stop talking about all the muscle that Caitlin Clark had added in the offseason. That's wonderful. How about she works on her defense for 10 minutes? How about she works on her shot selection for 10 minutes? I still uh, I just walked away from that game as someone who hasn't watched Caitlin Clark a ton. Excited to see how she played and mostly just walking away somewhat unimpressed.
1: Yeah, I think she obviously gets a lot of attention because she scores a lot of points. And because of the way this Iowa offense works, she's always going to score a lot of points. And she has a lot of assists. But the thing for me that just like takes her out of like when people last year were debating like if she should win national player over the year over like Leah Boston, it's just like, how do you not laugh at that? Because it's her con- efficiency isn't that high. She doesn't play defense at all. And like she has a lot of turnovers to go with those assists as well. So it's just like, The points and the assists get all the attention, but the stuff behind it isn't necessarily as impressive.
0: Yeah, and I I mean, I don't think anyone's going to say that AZ Foot is the world's greatest defender, especially I was looking at some of her advanced metrics today and defensive chairs isn't a huge fan of AZ's defense, but I think AZ puts a pretty good effort in on the defensive end. And even if it doesn't totally come around, I think, you're largely going to be rewarded for effort on that end of the court. And she's talked about taking pride in her defense and how that's something that she's always really enjoyed as having a part of her game. So I think it's quite possible that that's just a learning curve for her, where she's handling so much at, on the offensive end that she is slipping a little on the defensive end. But this is also the first year of AZ FUD being a full-time contributor. and We're in year three of Caitlin Clark, so... I am just more than com- comfortable saying that I'm firmly in the in the camp of being a Caitlin Clark hater because <laughs> there's just, yeah, she puts up big points and flashy numbers, but if you really break down her performances, it's just very meh to me.
1: Yeah. And also on your point about AZ, like, I do think AZ is a decent defender. I think defense is one of those things that's just really hard to measure in a stat and even something like defensive win shares what's going into that is like the team's defense and then like her rebounds her blocks her steals and if like those aren't the things that are coming up in the box score that doesn't necessarily mean that she's not a good defender so I i still think she is a decent defender maybe just the metrics don't capture it fully
0: that's interesting I actually didn't fully know what went into the defensive win shares regardless yeah when-
1: Yeah, we don't need to do the math on this podcast. It's not a fun math equation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Regardless, I think you come away from this weekend and really the first month because we're heading into December on Thursday. There's plenty for UConn to improve on. There's plenty for them to clean up. But if you're just looking at the big picture, it's hard not to be really happy with the way that UConn's played through five games especially with the amount of uncertainty that we were talking about going into the season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think one to just come out of this first stretch and they still have Notre Dame, which is going to be a big test, but to come out of this first stretch without a loss in its own right is impressive. And then I think without a loss, considering some of the pieces they've been down even more impressive. Um, but the way they've just like, they've won games in different ways. They kind of, I mean, they dominated that NC state game, they've had to fight in the Iowa game, but they still turned it around. I think, I don't know that they could have done much more at this point to be as impressive as they are. Like, I don't think there's much else you could have asked of this team at this point.
0: Right, it's still so early in the year. And I feel like my internal clock is a little off just because last year they had such a weird schedule where it was either no games or a million games in a row. So there wasn't a whole lot of, rhythm where this year it all feels pretty evenly spaced out especially having the game or the day between games out in portland there's a pretty big sample size at this point where we have a good idea of what this team can do and i think kind of central to that is alia edwards the way that she had a rough first half against texas rebounded to have a pretty good second half not dominant by any means but it was a good turnaround and in the three games since then has just been on a different level 20 points against NC State and Iowa State a double double in all three games not that it's always been perfect every single second but at a certain point I'm not all that concerned by that because she's playing at a different level than she's really ever played at before she has more double doubles in 5 games this season than she had in her first two years. She has as many 20 point games this season as she had in her first two years. She's scoring in transition. She's scoring in the low block. She showed off this really nice fadeaway jumper that we hadn't seen much of. She's scoring on elbow jumpers that we saw a bit as a freshman that disappeared a lot more as a sophomore. Now it's back in a big way. It's not all just putbacks the way it was early in her career. She's somewhat limiting the foul trouble. I think she had a little bit of an issue with that against Iowa, but she's also really the only big that Yukon's thrown out there with Dorky Uhas out. Ayana Patterson hasn't gotten a ton of minutes because she's been in foul trouble pretty consistently. So the fact that the load has been all on Aliyah Edwards and she's playing as well as she has, I think that bodes really well for when Dorky Uhas gets back and she has someone else down in the post to take some of the pressure off.
1: Yeah, definitely. I've been really impressed with Aliyah, especially in the Iowa game. I thought she played well in NC State and in Duke, but it felt like more she was kind of quiet in the first half. And then the second half, she played so well that it just kind of made up for the first half. But I felt like Iowa was the first game that kind of wire to wire. She was just looked really, really good. And I mean, she really was the offense a lot of the first half. UConn against Iowa and is what kept them in the game when they were when easy and the rest of the team was struggling and then she played really well in the second half again but like you said without having Dorca Uhas on the floor I think especially when every team's best post defender's attention is on her she has no other option in the post and she still performed that well I think bodes really well for what this team could look like in the, the, kind of the front court once Dorca is back as well
0: and Dorka looked pretty good in those first two games of the season too. So it's not like we're talking about, all right, well like Aliyah is playing well, hopefully they can get Dorka going once she gets back. Especially you add into the equation that Dorky Juhas had a broken thumb in, it kind of seems like it was this, at some point in the second half or maybe late in the first half that she broke her thumb and still had a pretty good performance. Who knows how much that affected her. That's a, Pretty good sign for her going forward. We don't know when she's going to be back. It was originally at least three games. Now it's up at least five games through this weekend, Providence and Notre Dame coming up. I thought the three games was a pretty quick turnaround for a broken thumb. And I wouldn't be surprised if it takes her a little bit of time to get back and even just get comfort back with her hand and the confidence in her Finger that it's going to be all right, or hopefully there's no lingering pain. But regardless, UConn's front court, Gino said after the NC State game that UConn's going to go as far as the front court can take it. And right now, the front court looks like it's in pretty good shape. But I am very intrigued and excited for that first Aliyah Edwards, Anissa Morrow battle.
1: Yes, cannot wait for that because. I think that is the one thing we haven't really seen, even though you has played top 10 opponents. We haven't, they haven't played anyone with like this big front court presence. Uh, they might get a little bit more against Notre Dame, but I think really it's going to be that first Paul game when they get to uh, the Tennessee and the well, Tennessee, I don't know if it's the right. Well, they at least have size. So we'll throw Tennessee in there. They get to the Tennessee game. They get to the South Carolina game, but right now we still haven't seen like kind of that the big front court presence on any of these opponents.
0: No. And again, I'm not going to throw Aaliyah Edwards a parade for scoring 20 points against Monica Sinano, but if Aliyah Edwards has a 20 point night against DePaul or, Oh my God, if she has a 20 point performance against South Carolina that is a whole. Valia and Wisconsin scores
1: twenty points against South Carolina. UConn's going to win the national championship. Like, yes, yes, yeah. that's <laughs> a very simple way of putting it. Um,
0: but l- I would like to see it. I do think another interesting matchup, even though I don't think it's necessarily big versus big. I'm curious how she does against Maddie Segrist because they've put her on Segrist the last couple of years to defend and. In the Big East tournament this past year, she did really well shutting her down. We saw her guard Caitlin Clark a little bit against Iowa, and she drew that charge towards the end of the game. If we can see a little more out of her on the defensive end as maybe someone who can guard those point-forward types like Maddie Segrist is when opposing teams don't necessarily have a big back-to-the-basket center that matches up well with her... I think that would be another really big plus because they don't really have someone to guard those type of players. I think there's Aubrey Griffin. I think Ayanna Patterson's still a little too foul-happy to trust against a top player defensively. I don't think Caroline Ducharme or Lou Lopez Seneschal are necessarily the best fits for them either. So if that can be Aliyah Edwards to shut those down and then you can put Dorka Juhas on the big... That also changes what UConn's defense can do. So the first matchup against Maddie Seagrass, which granted isn't until the end of January, could be really interesting.
1: Yeah, I'd throw Marquette in there as another team that could be interesting. They could put her on Liza Carlin more out on the wing, which could be an interesting matchup as well. Marquette, I don't know, they look really good. They haven't really played anyone since they were down in the Bahamas and made it to the finals and lost in overtime to UCLA. But I think they looked really good in that tournament.
0: Right. And that's not something I don't know. I would like to say that I was on the Marquette train before the season, but even still, it wasn't totally expected that they were going to be top 25 team. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: honestly, I don't, don't think we've talked about like how good the Big East has been yet on this podcast. So, Just no, we haven't. The Big East Look, might be the yeah. best
0: conference in the country right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the ACC has
1: re- yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the beat, but they do look really good like four top 25 teams. I, Creighton, I think, should probably be higher than the rankings, but they aren't because they're Creighton. Honestly, I think that's probably the only reason because they beat more people, more teams than most of the people ranked above them at this point. Um, but yeah, Villanova lost to Baylor, but took Baylor right to the last minute last week marquette like i said went to the finals in that that tournament down in the bahamas and losing in overtime to ucla after the fight ucla put up against south carolina last night looks like a very good loss if you can call it that um for them as well um and then i mean i don't know what DePaul's doing because their record makes literally no sense but they did beat maryland (laughs)
0: I feel like DePaul is just doing DePaul things.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I
0: mean, this is just kind of who DePaul is, isn't it?
1: Yeah, they're if they hit their threes, they're really good. If they don't hit their threes, they're very, very bad.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think with a team like Marquette and Villanova, you can talk about good losses. With Creighton, Creighton put them above LSU. LSU hasn't yeah. played anyone this season. Put them above Iowa. That one's pretty self-explanatory NC state. I think that one's a little tougher just because how do you really compare the two that well, it's not like NC state hasn't played anyone. Um, But you're talking about at least a fringe top 10 team in Creighton. That's something the big East has not, that's not something UConn has had in its conference since Notre Dame left since Louisville left. So just that top four alone, and then you even still have that middle class of Seton Hall, which DePaul's doing DePaul things, Seton Hall is doing Seton Hall things, where they are just on the cusp of being a really good team, yet they just can't get there. They are so close. So five, six teams that are at least competitive in the conference, that is night and day from what UConn is used to.
1: Yeah, exactly. I just want to go on the record and say that I said that at the beginning of the season that the top of the Big East could be better than the top of the Big Ten. And people thought I was absolutely nuts and that's starting to look a lot better <laughs> of a take than it did a month ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how much you really think Iowa State and Indiana are for real, but then you go down the list and it's Iowa, no. After that. Michigan and Maryland are both lower in the top 20. I'd Maryland to should see... not
1: be a top 25 yeah. team. Oh, they should be not in the top 25.
0: <laughs> but I would love to see the likes of Marquette and Villanova go up against those two teams.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think I think Michigan looks better than I expected of them to and would probably compete with the Villanova and a Marquette. I think Villanova and Marquette would both beat Maryland.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, if DePaul's beating Maryland, and no offense to DePaul, but.
1: No, I I watched that DePaul-Maryland game, and I don't think DePaul played particularly well. So I think that tells you everything you need to know about Maryland.
0: (laughs) I mean, isn't this also just what Maryland does? Every year they get a ton of hype early in the season that they're going to be really good, and every year they come in below expectations. I mean, every year. Yeah. Now you've just got a completely different roster to disappoint with.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to get a better feel for a lot of these teams like in the next two days because it's the ACC Big 10 challenge. So, all these teams that haven't played anyone actually have to play someone. But yeah, just Maryland should not be ranked. Right. Notre Dame is going to, they're playing Notre Dame tomorrow. Notre Dame's going to probably kill them.
0: Notre Dame's playing Maryland? Yeah. Okay, that'll be who, I mean, I'm, as a big Courtney Banghardt fan, I'm enjoying what UNC is doing, but I don't know if they're really a number six team in the country.
1: I think if they can figure out how to play two halves of basketball, they're the number six (laughs) team in the country. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, they're like, there's the comeback wins. It's like credit to their second half, but like if they could just play like that for two halves... They would be the number sixteen in the country. They're playing Indiana, though. And I haven't been high on this Indiana team to begin with. And then Indiana also is now currently without Grace Berger. She got injured in that horrible tournament that was played in some makeshift ballroom in Las Vegas. Um, so I do think that they will be Indiana tomorrow.
0: Why does that have to conflict with UConn men's basketball? That's really annoying. Oh, I know.
1: All these games, all, like every Big Ten ACC Challenge game, like, overlaps with each other tomorrow. They, it's, like, from six to nine, and there's, like, six different games, and they overlap with the men's game. It's awful.
0: The Well, not the biggest men's game of the season, but the biggest men's home game of the season.
1: Yeah. Which They still have to play Creighton at home. So the Oh, I,
0: is... I meant, like, so far.
1: Oh, so far, yes, yes.
0: <laughs> because so far they've played West State University yeah. and <laughs> uh, Backwoods College, like... The, non-con- the, the home schedule has been terrible, but yeah, that especially the two top. Well, I feel like the two teams, I don't know what I'm trying to say, because I think Ohio State has a few question marks, too, that I'm they could definitely prove tonight. But at least two of the teams in the upper part of the rankings that it would be nice to see what they do against some stronger competition, because, you know, looking at the top, Ten, I think South Carolina is, you know, more or less kind of what we expected. I think Stanford Mm -hmm. is kind of right around what we expected. I think depending on who you talk to, I'm not overly surprised that UConn's as good as they are. I think they're playing a little better than I expected them to, but I'm not stunned that they're five and zero. Then Ohio State, Indiana, North Carolina, I think they have questions to answer. But the next team that I feel is pretty much doing what they should be doing is Notre Dame. And that's who Mm -hmm. UConn has this weekend.
1: Yeah, I think this weekend's game is going to be very interesting. If I had to guess, I think it's going to be the hardest game that UConn has played so far. I feel like this Notre Dame team looks very good. Obviously, we know how I feel about Iowa as well. But (laughs) I I do think that this is going to be kind of the toughest of the series of hard games that they've had.
0: Also, Notre Dame is going to be out for blood. Yeah, the, like the fan base that's at Notre Dame, they are going to be out for blood in that game, because not only is it UConn, not only is it a big game in a season where they're trying to prove that they're back on back in the conversation near the top of the country. It's those two factors combined against a UConn team that I still think probably has the, the perception that they're vulnerable and that this is a year that you could maybe get them. I don't think they've totally shown the world that, no, we're still UConn. I think if you beat Notre Dame, and even if you do it comfortably, that really sends a different type of message. But I think that is going to be a raucous crowd at whatever they call their arena, Purcell Pavilion or something. Yeah. So that's going to be a fun one.
1: Yeah, I agree. It should be a really good game and a a tough road test because they haven't really had to play a road game yet. They've played neutral court which there was no one in Oregon and they've played at home so it'll be good for them to get a good road win or a road game I should as say win because they very well could lose it but a good road game In
0: right I mean you're gonna have to you go to your two biggest rivals this season to Notre Dame to Tennessee they haven't have they been to Notre Dame since Kristen Williams' freshman year? I don't think they have, right? Because the year that got postponed during COVID, first, it would have been the COVID season. And second, I think they just sent that game to the back. They didn't like reshuffle it. So it was back in the order of home away. So yeah, the last two have been in stores. They haven't been out there since that Kristen Williams game, her freshman year. And it's actually kind of mind blowing looking at the last few games that UConn's played because it was last year UConn won comfortably. And I was trying to think like, why don't I remember the Notre Dame game last year? And then I remembered, you know what happened that
1: game? got hurt.
0: <laughs> yep. So Notre Dame was a uh, quite a footnote in that contest. The one before that was the pre COVID year, the UConn team that stunk Relative to UConn terms. Still kick the crap out of the last Muffet Notre Dame team. The third meeting back. You only have to go back three meetings to get to the final four game in Tampa. Mm. Lou and Fisa's final game as UConn players. That's only three Notre Dame games ago.
1: That's crazy. <laughs> that,
0: that, I can't believe It feels
1: that. like forever ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, so you talk about... What Notre Dame has gone through in that time since they've played UConn at home, this crowd's going to be ready. And then looking ahead to Tennessee, Tennessee hasn't had a real home game since the series has been revived. They had a limited capacity COVID game. So if you want to get your team into hostile environments, I don't think you can pick out two better games.
1: Yeah, the only one that might have been better is if they were at South Carolina because South Carolina fans are just a different breed, but agreed, <laughs> two very hostile environments that they're going to have to play in.
0: Well, are South Carolina fans as psychotic in person as they are on Twitter?
1: That's a good question. I don't like, know. It,
0: not to <laughs> say that it's not a good crowd because I don't feel like having a mob come to my door tonight. <laughs> but like It would obviously be a good crowd, but I just think relative to the history between the programs and how long it's been since UConn's traveled to those. I think the crowds might be a little more juiced in those other two in Notre Dame and Tennessee than South Carolina would be. Not that South Carolina wouldn't be amped, but.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. I agree. There's just a lot more history in those series. Though South Carolina fans feel like have a particular hate for UConn for I don't know what reason.
0: Yeah. Either way, you got the nice little uh the warm-up against Providence on Friday. You got Notre Dame on Sunday. And it's coming at a pretty interesting time because last season, if you uh take out the Page Becker's injury from the Notre Dame game, Caroline Ducharme's breakout finally came in that fourth quarter of the Notre Dame game. We saw her really have her first Good performance of the season against Iowa. She had been dealing with that neck stiffness. She very clearly was not at 100% for a while there. This was the first game where I don't think the stats do it justice, even though her stat line is pretty good 15 points, five rebounds, three steals, three assists, two blocks. But she just came into the game and made a difference. And it doesn't matter if it was on the ball, scoring, away from the ball making a play here, making a play there. A lot of times that's what those games come down to, who makes the most plays. And I think this was a really good example of why they missed Caroline Ducharme so much down the stretch last year and why they missed her early this season. Because yeah, she gets the justified attention for being the team's leading scorer last year for a while when everyone was out. But she also just makes really nice plays all around the court, whether it's a steal here, a block here, a tough rebound, even just a tough basket at a key moment. Obviously, she had the game winner at DePaul. She's not just a scorer, even though that might be what she does best. So if this is a preview of what they're going to get from her this season, maybe even if it's not to this extent. That's still going to be a really good boost, and a reason that this UConn team might even be better than what we've already seen because this is just one game that we've seen from Caroline Ducharme.
1: Yeah, I thought she was really, really good against Iowa. Quite frankly, I don't think UConn wins that game without her. Um, I don't always love like plus-minus as a stat, but I do remember at some point in the game when they were down probably by like around when they were down by 11, like everyone's plus minus was negative and then Caroline Ducharms was plus 10. She just like made an instant impact when she was on the court for them and really kind of helped in that Iowa game. And I don't know if she's at full strength yet, but obviously was just definitely in a much better place in that game than we've seen her so far this season. And I think having her back, especially because they're still not going to have Dorca on Sunday is going to be really critical against Notre Dame.
0: Yeah, and I mean, maybe Notre Dame is just the, is there an opposite of kryptonite? Like, you just get stronger when you play a team and she <laughs> just has Notre Dame's number? I don't know, but yeah, it's going to be a all-hands-on-deck game, I think, against Notre Dame. The way that it really was for Iowa, and I think it probably is going to be for most big games this year because... UConn's got a lot of depth. It's got a lot of, or no, UConn's got a lot of talent. It does not have a lot of depth. And especially when you're missing Dorky Juhas, and especially when Ayanna Patterson, I still don't feel comfortable saying that she's gotten past her foul issues. I mean, her rebounding numbers per 40 are unbelievable. And you can see it with the eye test, but if she can't stay out there, it doesn't really matter. So then you're talking about a team that Really doesn't have a whole lot of depth. You've got Caroline Ducharme off the bench. You have Ayana Patterson off the bench. That's really it, unless I'm missing someone, but I don't think I am. It's that's it. So you're gonna need your stars, AZ Fud, Aliyah Edwards to step up, but you need contributions from everyone else. And you know, they got through the first half of the NC State game with only AZ Fudd, Aubrey Griffin, and Aliyah Edwards scoring, but then the second half you get Lou Lopez Seneschal to go off for 20 points and you win that game comfortably. So you need it from everyone. And especially when it comes to a game like Notre Dame, where like you said, this is probably going to be the toughest test that UConn gets this season so far.
1: Yeah. And I think the other thing that's going to be really interesting is the defensive end, because it's not like a game like Iowa where you're concentrating on Clark and you're concentrating on Sonano and then you can kind of leave other players open. Notre Dame scoring is much more balanced. They have a lot of different players that can score. So they're going to have to play, I think, maybe a better defense than they have had to so far this season. So it'll be interesting to see kind of if they can find a way to slow down Notre Dame as well. They've got what's it, three, pl- four players averaging in double figures, another two at nine points a game. So they have a lot of different people that can score.
0: Yeah. And I think it'll be a really good test for the guards because whenever we've talked about the guards outside of Nico Mule it's been all about their offense and how much can AZ Fudd really be counted on to put in a really good defensive performance? Can Lou Lopez Seneschal be counted on to be at least just an average defender? Can Caroline Ducharme do enough on the defensive end to stay afloat? Those are questions that I think we've we can predict and we can make guesses of, but we haven't really gotten any concrete information about how they can handle that just because they haven't played a team with a whole lot of offensive firepower so far across the board. I mean, Iowa has the, I'd say the highest ceiling of an offense that they've played, but like you said, all those different scores that they can go to, and it's not like it's going to take a, performance out of nowhere from someone for notre dame to be in this they can just get the ball to the next person and they can score so the defense has been good i don't think it's been as good as it could be but it's been good they've still got a lot of room to grow though
1: yeah and i think it's particularly for the guards it's going to be very interesting because i would imagine you want nika on probably olivia Olivia miles a lot in this game but they need someone else to step up defensively on their perimeter because you can't have, like, Dara Mabry wide open for three. So it's they're going to need two strong defenders in their, from the guards to, I think, get the win here.
0: How are we still afflicted by Mabry's Oh my God.
1: This Notre Dame team is so funny to me because you have Dara Mabry, but then you also have Maddie Westfeld. So it's, like, two of the sisters from, like, that team that a few years back that had Marina Mabry and uh, say Katie Westbelt and everyone else.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't need to go too deep into my thoughts and feelings on the Mabry family. Yeah. But, uh,
1: <laughs> we can do that next week once you come beat them.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think uh, there's a whole lot of love lost from anyone in the world. Yeah. <laughs> there, but it's it's just a very funny weekend because you have this Providence game that is so inconsequential and in that UConn's going to win by 40. In between a big Iowa game that drew a lot of attention and a big Notre Dame game. Two ABC games. Yes. With just two that of three
1: weird... ABC games because I'm pretty sure next, the following Sunday, Maryland is on ABC, too.
0: You're right. You've got Princeton in between that, though.
1: Yes, yes. That's so That's Princeton, who's
0: <laughs> a little disappointing.
1: Yeah, but it's still like a top 30 type opponent. It's it's not Providence, at least.
0: Right, right. And what's exciting is I'm looking at the schedule and it says throwback night, which I'm going to assume means they're wearing (gasps) throwback uniforms, which is very exciting.
1: (laughs) This is all we needed to know. Now I'm more excited for that game.
0: And I'd like to say I am very pro their current home uniforms. I think they have a really nice set, but (laughs) when you can mix them with the throwbacks as your third jersey instead of the terrible grays oh it's wonderful
1: yes agreed I like the throwbacks I also like the black ones that might be a controversial opinion yeah it is wonderful we'll... <laughs> I like them I wonder if we'll see them again this weekend at, at Notre Dame
0: one of my friends asked me and I don't know the answer off the top of my head but what's their record in the black jerseys because I remember I, I feel like
1: it's maybe not great i feel like when they first brought them out they played really well in them for a while and then it got like really bad at some point because they wore them for like every big game in that like megan walker year where they were really bad
0: yeah they debuted them i'm pretty sure it was the Kristen williams game yes, the
1: that notre they dame debuted game. them
0: the notre dame game and did they wear them again that year or did, did they, they wear just... them like
1: on the road at louisville when they lost or something maybe I don't that know. sounds
0: familiar yeah, yeah i think they did and then, yeah. Then the next year, I think they had him on in like every single big game. And then last year, I think they had him out at Oregon, right? Where they just oh, yeah. at Oregon game they got obliterated after Kristen Williams tested positive. But they won this one, so there's another win in there energy too. Energy shift. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm never a huge black uniform fan for UConn especially the black uniforms if they were like a different design it would be one thing but they're just the old navy uniforms except black
1: yeah i don't know i like them
0: (laughs) i i appreciate the concept of having like a big game uniform but i'd rather have like a
1: throwback type yeah i agree they should just make another like an away version of the throwbacks
0: (laughs) yeah i mean they have so many options get something with connecticut across the chest
1: yeah, like the, like, DT era jerseys or something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Maybe not the silver numbers, but, like, you know, just before that or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be, He got home and away throwbacks? I mean, come that
1: would on. Be they should just wear For... the throwbacks all the time. I love the throwbacks. Also, they should sell the throwbacks because they say they're going to start selling jerseys. So, we'll
0: see. You mean with, like, the current players' uniforms on them?
1: Yeah. Or former too honestly but
0: i i think they sell sue bird throwbacks
1: i think they did they sold like sue bird and diet atrocity but they like released them and they sold out in five minutes and then they never did oh and they haven't
0: restocked them yeah Oh, okay that's weird because they always have the men's throwbacks in stock
1: maybe i'm wrong and i just haven't looked in a while but
0: uh, well i will i'll check for you at the bookstore tomorrow
1: thank you <laughs> you can
0: throw it on your christmas list <laughs> because yeah. i feel like i see a decent amount of people at the games with those
1: fair i just wonder they, if they bought them on some sketchy site of the internet
0: <laughs> no they were too they're too legit okay like okay. you can definitely tell which ones like for example steph curry's az jersey yes. he most certainly <laughs> logged on to dh bought that from china and spent like 25 dollars on it
1: I have a DHK, the piece of color UConn you jersey.
0: <laughs> See, I'm too much of a jersey snob that I can't do it with basketball jerseys because I can tell the differences too much, too easily. That's
1: fair, but you can't buy a the piece of color Yukon jersey, so
0: right, that's Here fair. <laughs> I have a Whalers jersey that's actually really nice from one of those websites, but yeah. I haven't, I haven't uh, dipped my toe in too much. You know, this is all hypothetical, by the way, because I oh, don't yeah. think those websites are legal.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. But I should probably not say that.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, hypothetically, we have those things. We don't actually. <laughs> well, on that note, that'll do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. Again, if you have not gotten your flu shot, I cannot emphasize enough how much you should because the flu really sucks. Never gotten the flu in my life. I got this one. It was terrible. So get your flu shot. I mean, you'll you'll want it to watch the games this weekend. You got Friday at Gamble against Providence. That'll be a snoozer. Then <laughs> on Sunday, it's at Notre Dame on ABC. So that'll do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. We'll talk to you next week.